watchers in the fourth dimension. I'm sure unit can use a couple of five millimeter tall field agents. I keep expecting a luge to rush through. But that's crazy. It killed the last two people to work on it. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. And I'm Julie. And we are coming back at you with another Big Finish discussion. Julie and I have really enjoyed the two that we've already done, so we've now decided to up the frequency a little, and we're going to try to bring you a Big Finish bonus episode for each season of the show that we do. So for season seven, once again, I gave Julie a choice of a number of stories that align to this era of the show, and Julie chose... Binary! Woo! Let's get started by jumping into a little bit of behind-the-scenes information. There's not much this time around. This story is part of the Companion Chronicles range, and releases in that range are normally a blend of narration and acting. This one, however, is a little bit different, and is more like a full-cast audio play, albeit with just three cast members. It's written by Eddie Robson, who has written over 40 audios for Big Finish, as well as contributing to the Hooniverse in both written short stories and comics. He's quite a prolific chap. In the director's chair, we once again had the legendary Lisa Berman, who regular listeners will remember also directed Daughter of the Gods, which we discussed in our previous Big Finish bonus episode, as well as many, many more things aside. And as one final note before we jump in, this was actually the final story with Liz Shaw to be released before Caroline John sadly passed away in June 2012. There was one more posthumous release featuring her voice, and most recently, the role of Liz Shaw has been taken up by her daughter, Daisy Ashford, in newer audios. With that, let's jump in and discuss this. Episode one. All right, episode one, because there's only really two episodes. There are only two episodes. (laughs) I liked it. I think they did a really good setup of the mystery. You have just a one-on-one conversation with Liz, and it was the corporal at first, right? Yeah, I think, was it Corporal Foster? Yes, Yeah. And she gives a little bit of backstory about herself. And it's interesting how she's talking about potentially leaving unit. What's interesting with this is she comes across as having so much more resentment than she shows on TV. Mm -hmm. She talks about how there's always the assumption that she's the scientist, so she knows all science. Well, no, she doesn't. She's a meteorologist. She knows about meteorites. I don't know if that's the right word. I think that's a weatherman. But she has to play second fiddle to the doctor who does know everything and she just wants to leave and go back to Cambridge. And that kind of frustration and that kind of idea of her being fed up doesn't come across on screen. It doesn't, but at the same time, looking back on it, it still could make sense with her character because to be perfectly honest, she is a scientist and she's out there like in the field getting shot at and getting kidnapped and everything. And there could be a frustration with the doctor. As much as we all love the doctor, he's a great character. But if he's continuously outclassing you in your profession, it could be frustrating. Can I give you kind of a spoiler on how she leaves or do you not want that? I'd rather not. I'm sorry. Okay. There's a way it makes sense as to Mm -hmm. how she leaves, giving that kind of frustration. I'll put it like that. Yeah. So I don't mind it too much, especially because they kind of kept it contained to the story where it has her have that frustration. And then uh, spoilers for episode two, (laughs) by the end of it, 
she starts to say, well, you know what? Maybe Yuna isn't so bad. I think it's okay. I think they kept it pretty within the story and it doesn't really hurt what happens on screen. So I'm okay with it. Right. Now, it's obviously she's had to call in a computer expert, and when he first shows up, we assume that it's Sergeant Childs. Yes, but also at the same time, so uh, one of the things that I noticed is I was able to call a lot of things pretty early on. Yeah, in my notes I've got, I don't trust him. Ominous incidental music doesn't help. <laughs> there was that, and then the second that he repeated, it's a machine, it'll just listen to you, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a... This guy yeah. isn't what he appears to be. So there was that. And then obviously the, you know, what are these weird corridors? You're in the computer, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly after three other people have disappeared while working on it. Yeah, you've been miniaturized and put in the computer. I was just waiting for Rick Moranis to show up. <laughs> and it'd be wonderful. Yeah. But I do like it. It's a pretty straightforward story. It's a story that we kind of heard about quite a bit before, especially in this first episode, honestly. It's it's the, okay, we've shrunk. We're trying to get out. There's some sort of monster that's trying to attack us. And we're just trying to figure out how to get ourselves out and get ourselves big again. Very Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. or And, you know, the what was the one that we did before? Planet of Giants? Yes, Planet of Giants. Yeah. In that aspect, it's not anything different, but I think really when you get into episode two is when you start getting something a little bit newer and more interesting. There were some nice character moments in this, though. There was that mm -hmm. time when Liz started talking about what being in unit does to you psychologically and how mm -hmm. it changes your perceptions on everything. So what appears to be a metal bollard, they're like, oh, well, it, maybe it's an alien egg. And I thought that was really interesting, just because I think as human beings, we don't know how we would react to the strange and what kind of trauma or even just changes to our thought patterns would happen if we were in those kind of situations on the regular. Mm -hmm. I liked what they did with that. I liked that. And I liked a few of the call outs that they had. First off, you got, it's like, it's like we're in a luge. A luge? Yes. You know, where they go downhill, they pass yeah. in a sled. And then I liked the comment that was made about the quote-unquote alien egg. And it's like, I'll make it think you're its mommy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's a weird way to do it, but sure. But there were some fun character moments, some fun commentary on what was going on and what was happening. And I liked how they interacted with the doctor. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Particularly, you know, in, in more recent audios, they've recast the third doctor and the chap who does it does a great job. But at this point, they hadn't done that. So they're giving the doctor a voice through the telecom and Liz effectively reading it. I think it works well. Mm -hmm. I really like it. I, I think I prefer it than having had a different voiceover because it was nice to just keep it to those three actors. Absolutely. Or even going from a perspective that we had with the Library of Alexandria or Daughter of the Gods, where there's a bit more linking narration as opposed to just the voice acting. Mm -hmm. I think it works better this way. Yep. Oh, and another comment that I should have made earlier, but as true big finish, I really like how they did the audio. They just know how to do it. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that later. Oh, because, you know, they're in a computer, so how in the world is it going to sound in a computer? No one knows, but the way that they do some of the echoey bits and, you know, just the, the walking sounds that happen. And then when we get to the drones, I guess. Uh, yep. 
those get interesting as well. So again, spot on, big finish. There wasn't a ton of music, so not much to say there. But with what little they used, they used a good effect. So let's talk about the drones, because our first indication of them is when they find Johnson's beaten body, which is quite brutal, really. And there's that initial assumption that Ackland, the other guy that was taken in, may have been behind it. Which is really disturbing. Yeah, until they encounter the thing that just screeches at them and it's like, oh, okay, that's just what killed him. Good. Yeah, much preferable than having someone go crazy and start killing fellow men. We don't want that. That doesn't feel very, uh, very Doctor Who, does it? That's more kind of horror movie territory. Yes. Something like Event Horizon. Yeah, they walked a fine line here. They almost went horror, but they, they kept it out of the true horror realm. Yeah. Which I prefer. I know you guys love your horror stuff, but... I, I mean, I'm I'm not as into it as, as the <laughs> other two, but yes, we do yeah. enjoy a bit of horror. But that brings us to our cliffhanger and into episode two. And I do want to say, I thought the sound design of the drones was really good. That kind of inhuman screeching was very creepy. Yeah, because I I think they did a good job to keep it so inhuman. Because since they are drones and a computer, we don't want those to sound like human screams. I'm glad they didn't try to go with some approach of the humans being turned into them like you would have gotten in a horror film that's what would have happened there but i really liked that and then moving into episode two they escape it by climbing a ladder i mean what is this a dalek (laughs) yep can't go upstairs can't go up ladders it's a dalek there has to be some sort of way to go about it and i mean either a ladder later on it's just that they can move walls at will yeah basically so i'm pretty okay with that you have to have something to make it work right i do love how liz takes a look at and says well that's clearly not a man in a suit oh <laughs> you've been watching your own show okay <laughs> he's too thin you couldn't fit a man in there and have the suit on really just someone who's too thin I've seen some really skinny people, but it's very interesting. And then, like, again, Sergeant just keeps going, we need to get a fix. We need to get a fix. She's like, yeah, just let it go. Yeah, it's pretty cool how, you know, obviously later on we find out who Childs is. And at this point, he's trying to push Liz in one direction. The doctor's trying to push her in another She asks the computer to just let them out and it throws up an error because it needs them to fix the internal maintenance system. I just thought the kind of logic conundrum that she's in in order to actually be able to escape was really well plotted. It was simple, but it was well done. Yes, because, you know, one thing we all know about computers is it's always frustrating when it's like, oh, it needs to run some sort of scan. Okay, do that thing. And then it's like, oh, I can't do that. Well, then why did you tell me you needed to do this when you can't do it? (laughs) So it's one very relatable with people just working on computers in general. And they kept it simple so that it wasn't this like really bizarre plot where you're just trying to figure out where did we get from this point to this point. So I'm glad that they kept it that simple. And I knew that there was something wrong with the sergeant, but to actually have him be the computer projected outwards, that was just really cool. I kind of suspected that. What I didn't suspect was that the drones were being created by the computer as its maintenance tool. That Mm. threw me. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? Because I'd made the assumption that maybe it had been elsewhere before it was on Earth and had pulled in other creatures and they were the ones running, mm. you know, running rampant through the computer. And to find out that they were a function of the computer itself, that was cool. Yeah, I did like that. And the way that I look at it is like, all right, so it's basic robotics. So this would be how RPA would just be in. <laughs> In Doctor Who, right? It's just it's this weird little drone. No, not really. But I, that's how I like to think of it as. Especially because working in that field, whenever I'm doing any sort of training, you got this little bot that just hangs out and is like, hey, I'm going to teach you about RPA. I kind of pictured the drones to look a little bit like that in my head. Binary, when RPA goes wrong. <laughs> We're getting very niche on this level of nerdiness right now. <laughs> I know. And it's just, well, I work with computers. Like, I'm not a programmer, but I work with these kinds of systems. So, yes. But you know what was really gross? When we get to the waste. Yeah. Which is really just dead bodies. They're oh. just are stinking it up because they're more of the drones that have just gone wrong. Oh. And I love how it really starts to really hit home that he's not who he says he is because he can't smell it. Right. And I love that. And he's like, oh, no, I can't smell it. And then she's like, oh, you can't smell it? And he's like, oh, no, yeah, I do. And obviously Liz is like, this guy. Something's amiss. Right. Something is amiss. And then she throws something at him, right? And it just goes through him. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he was using injured hands. Yeah, injured. (laughs) Yeah, we all know that. Mm -mm. And then he tries to convince her. And that, I think, is what kind of makes this go on for longer than it needs to. And I get it. They had to fill two 25-minute episodes. But he lied to her about who he was and is now trying to convince her, think about what an asset the computer would be, and you'll get all the credit. And at that point, you're just coming across as skeezy, dude. Yeah. I would have preferred to get, we'll say, the corporal back earlier, because we do get Mm -hmm. him back for a bit, and have them duke it out. Like, have the corporal versus the sergeant. Uh, I think it would have been really interesting, but that's not what we got, which is fine. But I think that would have made it much more interesting than just the sergeant trying to convince Liz that the computer's a good idea. Yeah, and then, of course, Corporal Foster does show up and tries to do the exact opposite. You need to destroy the computer. And I was kind of mad because I was like, oh, man, he's alive. And then I was like, oh, oh, no. This is very yeah. sad. <laughs> I didn't trust it at first. I, you know, he came back and I was like, hmm, something's off here. Yeah. Something is off. But yeah, I, I did like how they both come to Lishaw. They both give compelling arguments as to why. One saying it's going to be a great tool and you'll be able to control it and it'll be able to do all of these wonderful things. And then on the flip side, it's, oh, no, this is going to be really bad and Earth might be destroyed if you do this. It needs to be taken out. And it's like, wow, two very compelling arguments. So, Liz, it's up to you. Yeah, and it did seem to me a little odd how Liz changed her tune very quickly. So she had decided after feeling taken in by child that she was just going to destroy the computer. And then Foster shows up and tries to convince her to break the computer. And she's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that now. Don't tell me what to do. You know? Yeah, I find it interesting because from the very beginning, she was more about shutting it down anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. And now she's decided, nah. It's very interesting to see that. But I think one of the things that happens is having those conversations and seeing the computer give kind of both arguments and that it kind of, in a way, thinks on its own. And I think that if that it has some independent thought, she can't really destroy it. And that's kind of a doctor thing. And she definitely vocalizes that closer towards the end. You know, she basically Mm -hmm. says the computer's almost alive. And if I destroy it, I would feel like that would be murder, which I get. But there's all this dialogue before where it just seems like she's going back on it and you're not really hearing her thought process. It seems almost flighty. Mm. And by the time she starts vocalizing why, I'm like, okay, this makes more sense. But it seems like a very quick switch. Yeah, but I do like some of the quotes that she has to really kind of hit it home. Because one quote that I really liked was, do I pull a gun just because there's a man walking down the street? I loved that. Oh, it was so good. I was like, that is so true, though. Just because I see something, just because there's a like 0.00001% chance that something's going to happen to me. Should I act on that? Well, no, probably not. <laughs> And I do love that she goes against what the doctor's telling her to do. You know, she's Mm -hmm. not just his stooge. She's an independent thinking character who is in this, the hero of this story and does what she thinks is right in the end. Yeah. And then I think, you know, then she gets to this point where she's talking about whether or not she's going to stay with unit. And what I find interesting is is I think with her going against the doctor, part of the thought process could potentially be, well, sometimes the doctor's not always right. Yeah. So he probably shouldn't just be allowed to run wild in unit and have no one stopping him. I I say stopping. Someone like saying, hey, doctor, maybe you should think about this. And that's a very kind of of the time thing. If you think back to 2012, this was about two and a bit years after the Russell T. Davies era ended. And Mm. with that kind of thing, I always think back to Donna and saying that the doctor needs someone to stop him from going too far. Yeah. And that's almost echoing here. So there's almost an element of when this was made in the show's history, as well as the time it's representing, which I think is pretty cool. One of the lines that I found interesting is the whole, like, we'd effectively freed a slave, which is an interesting way of putting it because, well, yes, I think, you know, the computer might have some sort of autonomous, independent thought. At the same time, I don't know that I really think of it as life per se. So it's a weird thing. Again, it's the if there's robots, at what point do they become something not a robot. Yeah. And it seems like this one is capable of independent thought. Mm-hmm. And it even talks about going off and finding someone to build it a body. So it's going to become more and more of a living being as we would recognize it. It's interesting and definitely a, an ethical conundrum that I think goes far beyond probably what the author expected us to be thinking at the end of this. Probably. <laughs> and then do you have more about the episode? Because I kind of wanted to talk about the extras. A little bit. I didn't listen to the extras, <gasps> but I will happily... didn't listen to the extras. No, tell me about the extras. I really liked the extras. It's only 10 minutes, and it sounds like they're just sitting around a table chatting about it. Okay. That was really fun. And then it was her first like non-narration. So it was her first time doing like the more of the scripted act, like doing the different acts, which is the three people and things. So she thought that was really fun, as opposed to doing the narration. And... 
She thought it was easier to pick up Liz Shaw again uh, than she expected it to because she's just like, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a long time, but also she's written so well. And in this, she's written pretty close to what Liz Shaw was other than the will she or won't she stay in unit. Everything else is very analytical and science-based. And the two guys who were the other two actors, it was their first time doing a Big Finish audio. Oh, how cool. Yeah. What did they think of the experience? They really enjoyed it. I think one of them had done some radio before. The other one hadn't done any radio at all, but they really enjoyed it. They thought it was cool. And again, since it's a very short one, they just like completed it all in one day. Very cool. That's the other thing is I always forget about Big Finish. Like since it's just like a radio thing, they come in, they do it all, and then they're done. And that's how they keep getting such high-profile actors. People like David Warner love doing Big Finish because it's easy money. Yeah. It's like, oh, you need me to come in for one day, speak lines that you have written out for me, and then I'm done? And I guess a really nice lunch as part of it. I've heard about the lunches. Yeah. Let's not forget the lunches. Absolutely. So yeah, I actually do recommend of our listeners, if you're able to listen to some of the extras, I love listening to extras. I will forever be spoiled by the fact that nothing will ever compete with Lord of the Rings, that each movie gave me nine hours of appendices. So that's 27 hours total of extra behind the scenes footage, but I'll take the 10 minutes for a short big finish. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's quite a lot of extras. (laughs) Okay, shall we rate this one? Yes, let's do that. After you. This is different than some of the other big finish that we've done because it was so short. It took less than an hour to get through everything. It's a fairly straightforward plot line. There wasn't a lot that surprised me, just a few things here and there. But it was a good character piece, and it was a very good character piece for Liz. I think I learned a lot about her and... I still enjoyed it, even though it was so easy to guess what was going on. So I'm going to give it mm, probably seven and a half luges out of ten. So I think you and I are on similar pages. I felt like this one was relatively simple in terms of plot, but it was very well done, very well directed, very well acted. And of course, it being big finish, the sound design was amazing. It doesn't have to be a complex plot for it to work. And I think based on my experience with the Companion Chronicles previously, I much prefer this kind of full cast approach to the narration approach. So for that, I'm with you, Julie. I'm going to give this one seven and a half metal bollard terminals out of 10. (laughs) All right. We will be back next time round when we'll be doing Terror of the Autons and kicking off season eight. Riley and Don will be joining us for that. We're going to try and do another big finish sometime over the course of season eight. So Julie and I will be coming back at you for that. And we may try and convince one of the others to join us. Don't know if we'll be successful. We're going to lay on all the guilt tripping that we can. But, you know, stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we do hope that you will uh, join us next time round. As always, thank you very much for listening and have a good one.
You've been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Philippek and myself, Anthony Williams. This bonus episode, When RPA Goes Wrong, was recorded on Wednesday the 21st of July 2021. If this is your first time listening to the show, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, when you've been shrunk down and sucked into a computer, it might be time to consider leaving your job.